Hi, I'm Angela Lee and welcome to the Will to Live podcast where we share with you the gifts of living. I speak to inspiring wellness leaders, mums, celebrities, business people, super grannies and more to help you live your potential, connect to your purpose and bring joy to your life. Discovering your will to live a fulfilling life starts now. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Will to Live podcast and I'm excited today to have Carl Hammington from Wellington, New Zealand joining us today. Hi Carl. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah really looking forward to um, this chat and finding out more of what you've been up to the last few years and for those that don't know Carl, he's the founder of Best Me and the co-founder of New Zealand's Integrative Gym Health Fit Collective. He operates as a father, manager, an educator, a corrective exercise specialist, and as a functional movement coach and as a play advocate. He's been in the industry a very long time. 14 years, Carl? Is it still 14 or more now? No, I guess that's probably a bit old. It's about 17 now. Actually. 17 now. He's, yeah. he's been around a while yeah. um, and he's actively involved in corporate health. He runs retreats. He presents. He does a lot of stuff and he's he's got a background in back, um, a Bachelor in Sports and Exercise Science, but he's done heaps of other stuff in behaviour change, psychology, neuroscience, nutrition, the list goes on. And today we're going to be talking about human ecology, which I'm really excited about. But while Carl loves all of this stuff, what's most important to him is his family and friends and being a dad has inspired him on many levels to cre- help create him a better world for his girls to live in. And that's what I love. So Really excited to um, welcome you on board, Carl, and find out all these cool things that you've been doing. I've been following you on social media, and I'm like, I've been loving all these posts, and I'm like, I've got to get Carl on, and we've been trying to get you on for a while, and we just finally found the time, and it worked. It's very mutual. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to, to finally actually connect, you know, virtually. It's, it's as good as it gets these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, how are things going for you guys over there? You've made quite a few changes with, with the business structure over there. Yep, yep. So I think... Uh, uh, the COVID situation is sort of, I think it's its created uh, a lot of opportunities for us. Yeah. Um, and I think it's actually pushed us forward a few years, to be honest. Like there are a few things that were already in the pipeline, um, you know, a hand was forced to, to really act on them. You know, cool. they say adapt or die. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think we adapted well and we came out the other side uh, really nicely, actually. Um, yeah. not, not saying it wasn't hard. There was a lot of uh, adversity that needed to be uh, overcome on many levels. But, you know, we, I think we did well. Yeah. yeah, no, it's really great. You've got an amazing team of people. I love the guys that you you work yeah. with over there. I'm a bit of a Mish fan. I love her. <laughs> I don't know Greg as well, but I love Mish. Yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so I guess what I'm really interested in is, like, you've been exploring, I guess, the area in general of human ecology, could we say? I'm just really interested to hear sort mm. of, I guess, like, what actually is that and sort of the path you've been, the rabbit holes and the journey you've been on the last few years in that area. I'd love yeah. to listen to hear that. Yeah, definitely. I think um, human ecology uh, is something I've become interested in because of my own personal journey, like many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in you know New Zealand, playing all the New Zealand Kiwi sports, and you know, spent most of our time you know outdoors as as children. Um, we were lucky to live across the road from a big park and you know playgrounds and whatnot. So we're always running around playing, doing things. Um, that led to, to sport, which became a little bit more, you know, serious, I guess, in terms of a more structured form of play. Um, and then, you know, going through, uh, you know, normal college. And then when I got to university, um, I guess uh, exercise, didn't, you know, it wasn't really movement anymore. Exercise became a little bit more structured and scientific. Um, and it wasn't really cool to, you know, to play as much then. And then um, I, I actually 
still managed to find my way into some high performance sport. Uh, I got a reasonably serious knee injury. So I did what's called the unhappy triad. So I did my ACL, my MCL and my medial meniscus all in one go. It's a pretty good effort. And then, uh, I, I mean, looking at it, I, I set myself up perfect for it with all the, the gym work I was doing at the time. Uh, and then I started more um, formal structured gym work because I felt like uh, I, I probably needed something else physical to focus on. And I was quite disabled at the yeah. time. So I really got into the gym work. Um, a trainer came up to me and said, oh, you've got a, you know, a, a good shaped body. You should try bodybuilding. So that oh, sounds like a fun challenge. So I got into that. I did that for a few years quite successfully. And uh, it was weird. I started to feel um, sore and achy and tired. And I was in my, you know, early 20s. So something's not, 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 you know, it's not right here. You know, I shouldn't be getting injured by doing, you know, so-called, you know, safe movements. And I also started to, uh, I wasn't able to do the things I love doing. So, you know, I couldn't just drop everything and go for, you know, kick around at the park with my, my friends or play touch footy or um, go for a run up a hill. You know, I just didn't feel safe in my own body. I didn't really feel like I could trust it. Um, so I was like, okay, there's something missing here. What's going on? And uh, I met a mutual friend of ours, Dave, and, you know, he started, Dave Leo, and he started sort of uh, mentoring me at the time and introducing me to a few different ideas. And I guess that sort of just opened up, um, you know, a whole new world. And that sort of led to what I'm doing now. So I started to ask the question, you know, what is it to to be human and how is it to, to move like a human and eat like a human and uh, interact like a human and, you know, socialize like a human and all of the other things that go with it. Um, so I began that journey and I really started to undo a whole lot of physical, mental, emotional um, patterns that have been so deeply ingrained. And that led me to, um, you know, human ecology. So looking at the, you know, interrelationships between, uh, people between other organisms and, and nature and how that all fits in and how it all fits into to what I was doing as a personal trainer and of course um, I always experiment on myself first so applying yeah. these uh, ideas and uh, you know and these learnings and, and uh, the tools as well to my own lifestyle and really started to to look at how I could inject that into uh, the systems uh and tools that, that we apply uh, in the gym. So I guess that's sort of a, a Cliff Notes version of it. Um, so it came from, you know, dysfunction and trying to work my way back to, to some form of, you know, function and, uh, you know, beyond surviving into, you know, thriving like a human. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that's always the case, isn't it? It's like, it's kind of like, when, you know, your pain or your suffering becomes sort of your purpose and puts you on the path. And yeah, I think it's really cool how you've explored that because I don't think, you know, I mean, I what I see in the industry, there's a lot of holistic practitioners and there's a lot of people that explore, you know, more of the human, but you seem to be doing it at a, at a different level um, than what I'm, what I actively see. I'm not saying other people aren't, but that's what I was really curious about in, in terms of how you explore that. I'd love to sort of yeah, maybe share some of the the insights or maybe explain a little bit deeper about, you know, the, the interrelationships that you see, because I think it's really important for trainers and all of us. I'm really curious to understand as well. Yeah, definitely. I think like I've written down a few things here um, and I usually give a few, you know, seminars and things like that on it. Mm -hmm. And I became really, really fascinated with, um, you know, ancestry and evolution um, and then, uh, of course I ran my own podcast as well. So I get, I got to, you know, ask leading researchers in different areas, 
you know, what was going on, what we know about our past and, you know, even modern hunter-gatherers to, to try and piece some things together. And I think it's really normal today. If I look at like a, a traditional or traditional holistic model, you know, we look at mind, body, and spirit. Hmm. Um, but if you look at almost every uh, ancestral um, uh, population, there, there's, there's six elements to it. So there's mind, body, spirit, then there's tribe, um, then there's habitat, and there's ancestry. Mm. And these are the things I think are often overlooked. Mm. And if we wanted to go a little bit deeper on them, um, you know, what I mean by tribe is, you know, your community. And I guess in some areas of wellness and definitely in longevity, you know, community has been recently identified as, you know, the, the missing element of wellness. I mean, you look at the Blue Zones research, you know, and these are the longest living populations in the world or the highest concentrations of centurions around the world. Mm. There's five of them. And the one thing that uh, stitches them all together is the sense of community and how important and how, how highly valued it is, you know, despite, you know, having a reasonably healthy diet, never, it was never perfect. A lot of these uh, long living populations, they smoke and they um, still eat the, you know, local sweet treats and they still drink, uh, drink, drink a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That's what I like about it. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Sold. Um, but uh, the one thing that ties it all together is that sense of community. Uh, and, and actually, if you look deeper at some of the other elements here too, but community really, uh, I think, is starting to get a little bit more of a spotlight on it. Mm -hmm. And you've got to look at, I don't know if you've come across a book, Tribe, um, by Sebastian uh, Younger, I think it is. Yeah. And uh, basically the message from, oh, the, the premise to that was that uh, they were looking at some of these uh, US Marines that were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, they're looking at the horrific sort of mental health and physical health, uh, things that were happening to them as they came back from war. And when they dove a bit deeper, he's actually a um, documentarian. So they looked at, in a, um, you know, what was going on there. And they found that they had a really deep sense of community and tribe um, within the army units, probably one of the good things that came out of, you know, war, really. Mm -hmm. um, but when they came back to the US um, into a society that just didn't value community so much, um, their physical and mental health deteriorated really, really fast. Um, and the, the key message from that was perhaps, you know, the problem is not the individual. Perhaps part of the problem lies on, you know, the way that we're living our lives. And I think um, tribe or community is, you know, has a lot to answer for. Yeah. What are your what's your take on, I guess, you know, technology's role in that? Because there's arguments either way, right? You build yeah. communities online, but then it's, it's just not the same community, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, is like, how do you define community? Is it in person? Is it? Yeah. So I look at uh, enriched experiences. So um, you know, enriched uh, community is is face to face. You know, communication. Yeah. It's actually connecting with people that um, you care about, you love, or share common values or a sense of purpose um, or vision as well. And then you've got you know the the less enriched version, which can be social media. And I actually did an interview with a, a researcher in this, Dr. Tracy Alloway. And um, she talked about some of the benefits of social media and the hierarchy of, you know, what ones are better than others. And there were, there are some actually some benefits from social media, especially in times of isolation, like today, you know, like community has been stripped away from so many of us. Mm. And she talks about, you know, things like Facebook, where, you know, you interact with you're constantly interacting with Facebook and you're showing uh, love and empathy and you're actually having to 
think about how you're interacting with that individual and what the ramifications might be versus something like um, Snapchat, which is very, very, you know, short lived and you don't have to deal with the consequences of your interactions. Mm -hmm. And that has been shown to have a really uh, negative uh, impact on mental health and, and uh, overall wellness as well. Mm -hmm. She spoke about even a number of, of social media platforms. So uh, seven or less uh, social media platforms seems to be key. When she said that, I was like, geez, I don't even know if I have got seven yeah, yeah. social media yeah. platforms. But yeah. um, so I think the way that we're going about it can be interesting. And she also said that uh, the state of mind that you're going into interacting with this. So if you've got a negative uh, state of mind, so people that are more in a depressed state about interacting with um, social media, they're more likely to seek out negative content. So it can really, uh, you know, create a, a, a downward spiral. Yeah, yeah. I think it does have a role, but you know, for me, it doesn't fit in line so much with my values and you know what I've looked at in terms of you know ecology because you're not getting that enriched interaction. Yeah. So how have you changed, I guess, things in your life and and with your clients to bring more tribal community together? Like, are there specific things that you've you've done since seeing this, and like, and have you noticed benefits in your own being from doing that? Definitely. Actually. Um, that was, that's one of our big values in, in health fit. So we try and inject it into everything we do. And uh, that is in terms of, you know, social events. Um, it's in terms of the way that we operate uh, within the club. Um, for me personally, um, I had a pretty full-on year um, last year, actually not just with COVID, but with everything else that was going on. And my go-to was to retreat back and work on myself, do a lot of meditation, you know, a lot of journaling, you know, trying to go inward. And it was funny because I, I sort of hit a wall. Like I, I found myself uh, not as well as I have been in the past. And I was thinking, geez, what the hell is going on here? And then I realized the one element that, that was missing was actual, real, enriched um, community. Mm. So as soon as we were able to, again, I was, I was uh, actively seeking uh, that community that I had beforehand and those people that I really cared about and the people that add a lot of value to my life as well. Mm. Um, so, and I, I encourage the same for my clients as well as to actually do an exercise that is, um, list the, the top, you know, five people that you spend the most time around mm -hmm. and literally rate how much they, um, value they add to your life and how happy they make you. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, obviously looking at bringing awareness to the people you're actually spending time with and yeah, how yeah. can you change that? And it makes, it makes such a difference. Like I relocated two and a half years ago, or nearly three years ago, actually, to um, to the Gold Coast. And, you know, even though I wrote a list of all the people that I really love being around, and even though some of them may not be, you know, within my proximity, it's about making that conscious choice and that effort to, to bring those people together. And it's something that I consciously choose to do because it shouldn't be a barrier just because they don't live as far. Like it is has been a little bit with COVID, but boy, it makes a difference. And I think... I hadn't looked at it in the concept of human ecology. I know that that's good for my, my yeah. genetic profile. But, you know, it's really, I think it's really powerful for people to consider that, particularly at a time like this where, you know, a lot of people are suffering on that level. So how can they bring that in to for their clients and for themselves yeah. as well? For sure. And I think when you tie in the other elements as well, so, you know, the mind, body, spirit, tribe, um, habitat and ancestry mm. you start to tie those elements in there and it becomes a really enriched experience so you know if we look at like ancestry for example like uh, sorry let's go habitat first <laughs> yeah. um so 
one of the things I've been into over the last uh, few years is, is foraging as well. Um, I've, I got introduced to it through a chef who I used to do you know, some creative sort of collaboration projects with. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, the amount of food and interesting food that's available around us, even in your backyard, is incredible. Mm. And, you know, the more I got into it, the more I started to notice things. Like I started to notice um, from a movement perspective how I could navigate certain terrains effectively. Um, you know, whereabouts I was going to be able to find certain foods and what other plants and stuff were popping up around certain areas at certain times of the year. So if I was going to find this food, then I'm probably more likely going to find this food as well. Mm. Or um, this food looks, or this this plant, sorry, looks very similar to this plant. And it was it's it's really interesting. It really made me aware of uh, the habitat around me. You know, mm. physically, uh, seasonally, there was there was a lot going on, and I really really uh, enjoyed it. And then of course I was doing it with friends, so I was getting you know, the, the community um, tribal element too. Mm. And then I was getting the ancestral knowledge. I was getting people passing me down wisdom, you know, around, um, you know, what foods to eat and definitely what foods not to eat as well. Yeah. We've got thousands of different types of fungi here, for example, and some of the ones that look edible look a lot like the ones that could possibly do a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I found that really interesting. And then, um, you know, in terms of... Uh, you know, the mind and the, the spirit, even like, you know, aligning with your values and doing something that makes you feel good. You know, mm-hmm. all of those elements were tied into that, that foraging experience for me. And I, I, I found it really powerful. Did, did you notice a difference in, I guess, um, I guess your vitality from eating some of those different types of foods that are in season and eating it in that way, like that more variety, because you're getting different nutrients, hey, that we just you know, the average person, don't they eat the same 10 to 12 foods? Or- yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, totally. So there's a couple of things there, actually. Sorry if I jump off a little bit. No, um, but like, you know, you, you know, you obviously know about hormetic stress, you know, which is mm. like a, a acute stress that actually forces your body to a, a super compensate and become mm. you know, basically stronger and more resilient. And a lot of these um, wild plant foods contain a whole, a whole lot of plant protective chemicals in them that actually are slightly harmful but they cause a, a little stress in our body and it actually forces our body to produce more beneficial compounds like uh, antioxidants within our body um, that actually are uh, protective for many systems in our body. Um, and uh, the other thing that I was going to say about that actually was the same foods. Um, one thing I came across when I was studying um, ancestral diets and we're looking at modern hunter-gatherer tribes and I looked at some, some research around that and one uh, large study showed that the Hadza tribe came into contact with over eight, uh, sorry, they consumed over 880 species per year, including over 50 different animal species. And I was thinking to myself, okay, what have we got here? We've got chicken, pork, beef, lamb, fish. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and yeah. And then plants, you know, most people would be lucky to get. I don't know, 20 different types of plants and you might get apples, oranges, carrots, broccoli, cauliflower, Mm. um, you know, a few, maybe some seasonal veggies, 880. It just blew me away. I was like, unbelievable, isn't it? mm. Like to think that that versus what we do now. Exactly. 
you know, and there's all these biochemical reactions happening right now and, they're you know, the enzymes are dependent on all these nutrients that we're not getting. It's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you look at, and then you tie that in with some of the research on the wild foods and, like, you know, we know now that, like, wild blueberries, for example, contain about four times the amount of antioxidants that even organic blueberries contain. Mm. And uh, some of the wild meats contain a really high um, protein content and high amino acid profile and, uh you know, the, the fats within those animals as well are different. So, you know, you know about the omega-3 to 6 ratio. So the mm-hmm. omega-3 fatty acids seem to be a lot higher versus the omega-6s, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, provides a whole lot more nutritional benefit as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really fascinating when you start to tie all of this, this stuff together. And it's, yeah. it makes you realize that it's not a coincidence that tribes like the Hadza, for example, uh, are some of the healthiest people in the world. You know, like they've got an average age um, of around the same as us, but... 95% of their deaths are due to either birth-related deaths um, or um, uh, trauma, so direct trauma, you know, so basically wounds that have happened to them that they weren't able to, um, you know, medicate themselves out of mm-hmm. um, and uh, infection as a result of that. Mm. We're, we're, we're the exact flip side. We've got yeah, 95% so of our deaths are due yeah. to chronic disease. Yeah, so we're literally killing ourselves. Yeah, um, So how accessible is it? Like, I mean, in New Zealand, you might know about Australia, but how accessible is it to get more of the, you know, like the wild well, here foods that you're lucky. talking about? I, I think it's a little bit more restrictive in Australia. That's mm. um, because the chef that I did it with originally, he's he's gone to Australia now, he's jumped across to the warmer side of the ditch yeah. um, here it's like ridiculously free i can walk out into a public space and and grab some some plants and i actually took i've taken a few groups out and within uh you know a 30 minute loop around our gym for example um i could find i could fill a whole shopping bag full of um edibles and about 20 different varieties of, of plants Wow. And all of these things we think of as weeds and they're just tasty for a start and so nutritious. Secondly. That's fantastic. So is that something that you've included more in yep. your diet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also I get my kids involved as well. And yeah, cool. <laughs> at a proud dad moment. Um recently my little, well, she was actually um two at the time. So she's just sort of starting to talk. And we went to a local eco sanctuary in Wellington. And there's a big picture of a kawakawa leaf on the wall. And she goes, Dad, look, kawakawa. I was like, yes, that's my girl. Like, that's <laughs> that's a wild, wild plant. And, uh, you know, she knows now when we go for a walk that both the girls will, you know, pick their edibles and they'll start chewing on them, even though they taste like pretty horrific when they're <laughs> underprepared. Yeah, but they yeah. think it's quite a fun thing for them. Yeah, that's fantastic, well, isn't it? And how do you go about, like, with the increasing more varieties of the meats? Meats, is that... Yeah, see, I, I I would like to, I, I always think that, um, you know, if you're willing to eat something, you should probably be willing to harvest it as well. And mm-hmm. I haven't actually, I've been out hunting, but I've never actually uh, killed a wild animal um, before, but I, that I intend to, um, yeah. because I think that it's an important thing to do. It's almost a rite of passage from what I've sort of looked into, and I feel like it's something I should do. Um, but there is a lot of wild game available. I've got a couple of clients that hunt. And they bring me in, um, you know, wild pig or wild venison as well. Cool. Um, but in a great local store, and we've got here an organic shop, they have a lot of wild game available as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, no, it's so good. And I think, you know, I think it's something that we 
all need to get more educated on, um, particularly with things, you know, I won't go down this rabbit hole, but like, <laughs> you know, potentially what's happening on a global scale with food supplies and yeah. you know, what could happen. And so I think, it's, um, yeah, it's got me like thinking I need to be more educated on, you know, what is available in my environment yeah. because, you know, I wouldn't know any of those plans. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, mm. I mean, an easy thing that everyone can do at home is just ask themselves, you know, how their food got from the earth to their table. Yeah. And I think a lot of people really struggle to, to answer that question. Yeah. Um, which is kind of scary, right? When, you know, you know yourself, like how important it is to uh, not only know your food, but know what your food's eating. So what yeah. sort of soil is it, you know, as a, as a food growing in, for example? Yeah, totally. Like I'll, I'll go to the farmer's market and speak to the farmer's market there. And like, I have this thing where, you know, like I'll try to, not get the same food that I get every week. Like uh, at least each Saturday, going, I've got to get something different from another week, you know, to just try that variety. But this is next level, like going around and finding 20 different species <laughs> around from your gym. Like that's really cool. To be honest, like um, I've, I've, I've got a hierarchy of food that I've sort of put together as a system, you know, a system sort of approach to this, but mm. I don't spend a lot of time uh, harvesting wild food. I do it a bit in winter time. It definitely slows down. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, local farmers markets, I think, are great as well. And we've got, you know, access to some great organic shops here as well, yeah. um, which they always have the origin of the food and how it's been grown as well. Um, so we're pretty lucky there, I guess. It's yeah. Kind of a yeah. cheat way of doing it. <laughs> I think it's so important. Like, so when you went down sort of this path of human ecology and looking at all of this interrelationship, so... Like, is there anything that's really struck you and gone? Like, if people were looking at exploring this area, like, what are, like, you know, your top three? I don't know, it's probably hard, but do you have sort of, like, a top three, you know, that you think is most important or made the biggest impact for you and your clients? Yeah, I think I created something called um, Rehumanising Principles. And uh, a lot of it actually, I guess the work started with movement, so it sort of started along that journey. So I think movement's a really, you know, good place to start. Um, for a lot of people and food as well, obviously. Uh, like I said, bringing awareness to, um, you know, how you're living your life, I think is really important. But so, how you move is very different to how the, you know, the normal person moves as well. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's a different type of movement. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, you know, again, I, I don't know if you've come across, you know, Phil Beach, I'm guessing from his. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. yeah. So um, what I love about his work in terms of movement, I guess, is um, he's looked at human evolution and how that, uh, has created the way that you know the human body is designed to move and and how we can also what I love about it the most is there's one chapter dedicated to just the the tuning exercises so some human movements that we can just integrate into our life mm. you know like the flat deep foot you know the deep squat flat foot deep squat you know it's such a great position for most people you know obviously there's a few populations that it's yeah. not so cool. like your archetypal postures and the archetypal postures yeah exactly you know what so yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know that's the position that's a natural resting position and mm. when I had the opportunity to talk to Professor Herman Ponser so he's a um he's actually an exercise physiologist he's got a PhD in physiology and he traveled and lived with um, the Hadza tribe, and he's been one of the leading researchers there. Um, he observed that that often um, a lot of these, these people were, they weren't obviously sitting in chairs for a start. Mm. Um, they had very active resting postures. And he suspected at the time I interviewed him that that had something to do with um, their health because he was researching energetics. So looking at 
basically calories in versus calories out and you know why these people are so healthy and why they're so lean as well mm. it turns out they were consuming about the same amount of uh no sorry less calories but they were despite their high levels of exercise they were um ex um they were using just as many calories as the average american so they become extremely efficient but then they only were eating the same amount of calories as what they were using so I was thinking, well, that's not really, you know, actually some of them sometimes are eating less. That's not really useful to, to the weight loss paradigm. Mm. So he discovered that like, well, he suspected at the time that perhaps it was something to do with their active resting postures. And since then, there's been a whole lot of research that's, that's come out on this to support that exactly that there's beyond energetics, so beyond the calories in versus calories out, there's a hell of a lot of health benefits just to spending time uh, either resting on the ground, moving around, sitting in deep you know, flat foot squat, um, or as Phil Beach calls, um, erecticizing. So just practicing getting, getting down and up off the ground. Mm. Um, so that's where it sort of started. I think it's an easy place to start for a lot of people as well is to spend time on the ground. Yeah, that's what I, I agree with. That. And I think it's like, we just, you sit down in the evenings, like just sit down on the floor, like it, and it's easy to start doing a lot more of, you know what I mean? People are just so ingrained in the habit of sitting on their lounge and, but they don't understand I guess it's good for you to share some of these benefits and the impact it actually can have yeah. on someone's well-being when they do that. So much so, and exactly. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, that's cool. I look at uh, you probably know this as well, but neat movement, so non-exercise-based activity thermogenesis. So it's like all those little movements that we do during the day that stack up to help us, you know, basically burn more energy. Mm. And uh, you know, those little movement snacks, like spending time on the ground, is a really you know, it's an easy one for a lot of people. Instead of sitting on your couch at night, you know, sit on the ground and move around. Your body will find the, the sort of postures and positions that it, it, it needs. Mm. Of course, another easy one is just getting in bare feet, you know, just yeah. stimulating those feet in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? So, so rehumanizing. So you, it's like, you know, eating more of the wild food because of all that, getting barefoot, getting down on the ground a lot more, you know, yeah. making an effort to connect, I guess, with your tribe and, you know, connect there. What what else would you add to that? Is there any? Yep. So you got tribe, then habitat. So become aware of that. You know that local environment as well, and then um, obviously ancestry. So um, ancestry, I think, is something that's not really, you know, valued as much in today's world. I mean, uh, when I was talking to a human biologist Frank Frenchich, actually, so he spent time, um, you know, studying the the tribes in Africa. He lived with various tribes over the years mm -hmm. really interesting guy and uh he talks about this is where it sort of introduced me to to it actually he talks about the iroquois term which is called the long body so it's everything that exists outside of our skin and actually the iroquois amongst multiple different tribes um uh, always they don't view themselves as just being within the barriers of their skin they look outside of that which is you know basically human ecology mm. so it's like um i am actually part of you know the land you know i i am part of my ancestry i'm part of my tribe mm. um you know uh, amongst the other things we've discussed today and um he was talking about some of the wisdom that's passed down um through the ancestors so he was talking about um the san tribe and how um they knew to, to make this poison that they used to hunt with, that they put on the tips of their arrows, you had to combine about three different ingredients, but they had to search for this root of the specific plant that was only available at a specific time of the year. Then they had to take that and combine it with like, I think it was the contents of the gallbladder of a certain type of frog 
and then they sort of mix this together and they make this um, deadly poison. They have to put it on the tip of their arrow and they shoot their um, whatever their, their prey is that day. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, that's just like an incredible um, you know, representation of ancestral knowledge that's been passed down. Obviously, there's probably a bit of trial and error there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how yeah. do you feel that we like use our ancestral knowledge? Like, like yeah. how do you sort of tap into, I guess, do you tap into your ancestral knowledge? Like, are you talking about your family or like how, how do you look at that for you? Yeah, I I was very lucky actually growing up that I had four active grandparents in my life as well. Um, so I, I had a lot of opportunities just to, to talk with them and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I valued it as much as I should have at the time. Um, you know, probably at times like I chose other things to do over spending time with my, my grandparents and I kind of regret that now. Mm-hmm. If I look at the the wisdom my granddad had, one of my granddads had around gardening, and he had incredible wisdom around that. Mm-hmm. And I only just started to pick up on some of it. It was basically permaculture gardening, which is like incredibly effective. Yeah. That he'd been doing for years, and he had his garden was ridiculous. Like <laughs> it was an absolute shambles, but it just had everything growing in it. And yeah. I really wish I'd tapped into that a bit more. Mm-hmm. And my other granddad on the other side had a lot of wisdom around you know carpentry and just he had great. Um, you know, hands-on skills mm. that, again, I wish I'd learned because it'd be really, really handy in today's world. Yeah. Um, so I guess trying to tap into that and through my parents as well, uh, they've got, you know, their own types of wisdom and then trying to create, um, you know, more wisdom to pass down to my children, like some useful mm. things like, you know, some awareness of, you know, themselves, um, some awareness of, you know, the habitats and, you know, through foraging and mm. things like that, through gardening through preparation of food actually so i try and get involved in you know the preparation of food through movement exploration uh you know all of that stuff so i'm hoping to create some more wisdom within my life that i can hopefully share with the future generations yeah no that's cool and so when they look at ancestral stuff do they talk about in human ecology because some of the path that i've been on the very spiritual journey i suppose and a lot of the shamanic work that i do like it's very much about I guess, connecting to the, you know, I guess the spirits or the energy of those that have passed over and drawing upon that in some of the yep. work that I've done. So I wasn't sure if, it, if that's what it meant as a part of it as well or because that's uh, something yeah, that I've well, done and it's been like, well. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Eh? When you look at that, like that was something I became really interested in as well as, you mm. know, the plant medicine sort of journey and, mm. um, yeah, I guess nature's uh, sort of mind expanders and almost every every ancestral tribe I came across had some form of that and mm. not just, you know, the plant medicine side of it, not just the actual, you know, the chemical found in that plant itself, but the whole process that surrounded it. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, definitely something that is hard to ignore. Mm. And you know, it was obviously highly valued as well. And when you start to, you know, um, explore some of that wisdom as well, it becomes really fascinating. Yeah. Cause I do think there's a lot of, wisdom accessible to us in lots of different formats or you know what I mean like I I regularly like my son who passed away like I regularly tune into him for regular support and wisdom like I I just feel he's there supporting me on so many levels and I yeah I think that is an important part for people to consider is that there are other avenues you know human ecology is all these different things isn't it you know like your own and there is a lot there it's funny, like you, you know, you look at some of these plant medicines, for example, and how they, you know, I mean, psilocybin is being really 
that's been opened up some research again recently, which is great, um, which is, you know, the active ingredient in a lot of, you know, these plants and mushrooms mm. and um, the positive benefits it's showing in terms of, you know, mental health and PTSD and mm. uh, all these other things, you know, along to back up some of the other research and, you know, the chemical form LSD, you know, mm. um, I'm just talking about the research, not, you know, recommending everyone goes out and yeah. have a acid, but um you know, it's, it's really interesting when you start to look at the actual medicinal, like measured medicinal um, benefits of some of this stuff. And I think that's where I, like, I, I, I try and do with a lot of my work is I look at ancient traditions and I try and reinforce a lot of that stuff with actual science or investigate it to see if there's actually any modern mm. science to back it up. You know, is this stuff safe to do and is it actually effective or is it woo-woo? And it's yeah. quite interesting. Like you look at, you know, like I said, the, the research on, you know, plant medicines and psilocybin, for example, and it's it's really fascinating. And, you know, there's been millions of dollars pumped into it at the moment because it's so promising. Yeah, it's. I, I just think it's like, you know, as you said at the start, like the path that we've been going down is 95% of the conditions we're getting are chronic diseases. We're killing ourselves by what we're doing. So, you right. know, when you're, these tribes are living these happy, healthy whole lives yeah. without all of this stuff. So I think we really have to you know, go back to our roots and learn more and understand more about what is available. That's why I was really keen to get you on because I just think there's always something that someone can do to, you know, make a better choice or start introducing, even if it's something small, some of these things today yeah. that can really make a difference because what we're doing clearly isn't working. So um, mm. I totally agree. I can't agree more. Like, you know, we're, we're literally making ourselves sicker. And if you look at some of the you know, the, the things that are, you know, the health conditions that are taking off today, like a lot of it can be solved through lifestyle. I mean, look mm -hmm. at the, you know, the rat park studies with, you know, Bruce Alexander. I'm pretty sure I've seen, you know, some of your work, you might have mentioned that before as well, on how they looked at, you know, addiction, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and rats. And they found that, you know, the rats were getting really addicted to, you know, just like humans getting addicted to, I think it was a, a form of cocaine and a form of heroin. But um, Bruce Alexander came along and he said, well, yeah, but that's not an, a rat's natural habitat. So how about we study the same thing and we see, you know, what happens if we actually change the environment of the, of the rat. So they created these rat parks with basically big, big spaces where the, the rats could socially interact, they had enough space for, um, you know, to have sex and to play and, you know, do all the things that most beings are designed to do. Yeah, yeah. And they found that um, actually the the addiction rates massively dropped off in the rats. And in fact, they were more likely to take the sugar syrup than the uh, the drugs that were available to them mm. just through changing their environment. So yeah. it's like, uh, do we keep trying to medicate our way out of this or do we actually start to think, well, shit, maybe, um, you know, maybe we need to change the environment. Yeah. Environment's huge. Like, yeah, I've recently moved because I had this horrible little situation in this house. I was living in this environment that I'm living in now. It's like, yeah. it's impacted myself just amazingly you know what I mean like and I was like oh my god that's I haven't changed a huge amount you know yeah. so it is I really do believe in that so look I'm interested in doing learning a bit about foraging and maybe yeah. like I think I need to include some wild you've inspired me to include some, some <laughs> wild plants wow. like I don't really include that uh, <laughs> that's great as much so that's really cool but I just um ask all my guests at the end, like, you know, like this is the will to live podcast. So what would be your advice for people to, you know, find the will to live their most fulfilling life? What would be your sort of parting words for anyone? Um, I mean, I think, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I can speak from my own experience, but I think curiosity is just important. I think if we can just take time out to, to think about how we're living our lives currently. And is that, you know, first of all, is that the life you want to live? Because we do have a lot of choices available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, for me, I like to contrast it with, okay, like, um, how can we, what is the potential? How can we actually live? And then what are the basic steps we can do to, to start, you know, heading in that direction? And I think for me, ecology and this way of living with a long body perspective is so important because, you know, when you start immersing yourself in these things, uh, including, you know, the, the natural world, you start to feel responsible for it. And, you know, what's happening at the moment, we're seeing a massive ecological collapse, mm. you know, globally. And it's like when you actually feel a part of that, you can't just go living the way we are currently. You know, you can't live a, you know, a non-aware life. You know, you can't start uh, being wasteful and, and being irresponsible because you feel like you're actually hurting yourself as well. Mm. And in order to, you know, to live a fulfilling life, we've got to take responsibility for our own lives as well and actually yeah. stop sometimes and have a think about it as opposed to just being on that hamster wheel. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And I and I think it's like part of what's happening. I, I went to a session with Carolyn Miss. I went and watched her speak just about 18 months ago. And she talks about, you know, basically this, this spiritual environmental connection and basically what's happening in the environment is, you know, a reflection of what's what's inside us. And yeah. you know, if we look at ourselves and look after ourselves more, then we'll make better choices and look after the planet and you know. Yeah. yeah, which is really cool. So very exciting, yeah. Carl. Great to chat with you today. Like I'm, I'm yeah. really fascinated um, about all that stuff. And yeah, loved. I hope the listeners. I'm sure they got something from from this today. And I just think it's about us all being aware of what we do, but just knowing that there's so many resources. What I'm really passionate about. Is there's so many resources available to us. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Inside of us and around us. Yeah. That's you know not needing all these other things. So <laughs> in saying that, I am about to go and have a cocktail with a girlfriend for a birthday. <laughs> <life. So laughs> all part of it. It's, it's all, all about. I might have to see if there's some wild wild berries in that cocktail, but um, <laughs> I'll finish that up. But thank you so much. I've loved um, having you on and chatting to you today. It was oh, really great. cool to, to share all that with everyone. And I'll put all your links to um, the Health Fit Collective. So the Health Fit actually have an app now, so you can access them from anywhere in the world. So all the Aussies can access Carl, and um, I'll put all the links to his websites and social media. So he does really share some really cool things. So I'd encourage you to jump on there and, and have a look. And if you're interested in exploring this area, make sure you reach out to Carl and there might be some things he can support you with as well. But thank you so much. Great to have you on. And, and keep keep up the great work. I love following your journey online. It's been great. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> I'm Angela Lee, and you've been listening to Will to Live, the podcast. You can join us on Facebook in our Will to Live online community, that's L-I-V, Facebook group, or follow Angela Lee on social media and at www.angelalee.com.au. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to pay forward the gifts of living, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast. Thanks so much.